We are a double act, double taking on consumer insights based on speculation. We bust buzzwords and unlock insights from the latest academic papers and thought pieces. Think Twice is a snackable strategy podcast for the wide community of strategists. Think twice, brief once. Hello and welcome to episode seven on humour and advertising. Hello. Um, (laughs) We thought we'd do an episode on humour to, I don't know, try and cheer everyone up. Um, Yeah. We're going to be mentioning the C word in this episode. Before that, let's just apologise, sorry for the sound quality. Neither of us thought to, you know, like take home our mics or anything like that. And also, of course, because we're social distancing, we're not able to meet up to actually record the episode. So we're on Zoom and I'm not sure how this is even going to turn out. I'm really, I really hope that I'm able to put the jazzy music in the background. What are we going <laughs> to do about the jazzy music? I'll yeah, be actually We're using the record feature on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, put the, we'll put the link in the notes. <laughs> um yeah so actually we've made a rule for each other to kind of survive these times not to mention the c word no c word because we read this bbc article um that talked about how you need to kind of take control of your mental health and anxiety at this time and one of the really interesting rules that we we saw as well on top of them you know everything else is um to keep in check how many times you're checking the news so we want to we want to create a resource that like isn't talking about the wider media and isn't talking about the situation because we think that everyone deserves a break and honestly this is meant to just be a break in all the seriousness and that's the last serious thing that i'm going to say in this episode <laughs> well said perla thank you so much do you have any funny Zoom yeah go on tell tell your joke tell we we're going to tell a joke to uh <laughs> get it off so a six-year-old <laughs> tell me what the joke is before she's telling me by the way so it's the first time i'm actually hearing it yeah, I'm not, I'm not too... I've actually heard this from a six-year-old today who um, told me it on a work call. <laughs> work with a six-year-old? Well, no, I don't work with a six-year-old, but you know how all parents are working from home at the moment? Uh, yeah, all their yeah. kids keep running on the video calls. It's actually yeah. so cute. I love it. It's like my favourite part of the meeting when all the kids <laughs> come on. The one. He actually came on and he just went, this is boring. <laughs> what would he be like, yeah, same. I love the right now. Yeah, probably. It really breaks it, like, it really breaks it apart and also makes you view your, like, managers and your seniors way differently. Like, they actually... I love getting, like, an insight into everyone's house. Oh, my God. My mum walked behind me in a meeting in a dressing gown. (laughs) I thought she clocked. I thought she knew and she just didn't care. But she then, like, saw I was on video and was like, (laughs) (laughs) But, like, I don't think anyone noticed because we were in quite, like, a serious conversation about one of our campaigns. I'm really happy about that. I was like, did any... I, like, messaged my friend, like, did anyone notice my mom in the background? Like, I think at the start, people were conscious about it. And now it just feels like, yeah, your kids are on your lap. Like, if it... (laughs) You can't really help it, can you? I guess it's different with parents than with children. (laughs) No, yeah, definitely. Especially because if both parents work, then they have to take in turns to, like, look after the kids. They're doing, like, three jobs. So difficult. Um, Okay, my joke. So, knock, knock. He's there. Interrupting cow. Wait, moo. No, no, we ruined it. Wait, we need to do it for the people. Interrupt the people, for the fans. (laughs) Interrupting cow. Interrupting gal who? No! No, you didn't interrupt me! 
Yeah, I, I, I didn't <laughs> Basically, when she says, who are you say, Moon, it's a great joke. That is the worst delivery of a joke I think I've ever heard in my whole yeah, life. We got a question on whether I could tell a joke without laughing, and I did. You did, but you also told it wrong, so I think you were concentrating so hard on not laughing that you actually told it completely wrong. That a six-year-old was able to deliver that joke in a in a substantial way. Do you think you'd be good at stand-up? Me? Yeah. Um, no, I can't be funny like on demand. I'm usually, I, I'm very much a reactive person. You know, I come up with the, with some funny one-liners when someone, you know, I can bounce off of someone else, but I, I'm not good at just like standing there with no kind of stimulus and mm. doing something prepared. There's, there's some agencies that um, like part of the training is stand-up comedy because it really? helps so much with presentation and confidence and like winning a room. I think it's really interesting. Cool. I would do a course like that, but I'd just be, I'd, it, it, there would be a lot of anxiety and fear to come, like to overcome there because it's just, I think I honestly think people that do stand up are some of the bravest people ever. It's so scary. Um, yeah, I was watching Ali Wong recently, and I really like her. She's really funny. Ooh, put the put the link in the notes. I will do. I will. Have to. Let's do a course or something where we um, like do stand up. Do you do it? Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. You anyway. win as well, so I didn't think it'd be that bad. Um, should we uh, define what humour or being funny is? Well, yeah, the, we've got the, the standard like dictionary definition, which wasn't useful, so we're not going to bother with that. We're going to do the humour definition by Caleb Warren and Peter McGraw, who wrote some of the main theories about humour. So humour is a psychological response categorised by the positive emotion of amusement. It's the appraisal that something is funny and the tendency is to laugh. Do you think that's think, a good description? Yeah, I do think that's interesting. And I think, um, I guess... I don't know if it's different for other people, but I never think of la like laughter or find something humorous as an emotion. So it's like good to see it in that context and in terms of like how it can add to brands in a way. Um, yeah. Like it, you can be emotional and being humorous. And I think everyone knows that, but it's just a bit of a reminder. I think yeah. your mind goes to other things when people say be emotional. I think there's always that like um, debate between doing something purpose-driven versus doing something funny because I think funny's looked at as quite a light-hearted everyday strategy when actually real funny humor like really really like something that actually properly makes you laugh like in your dead in your tracks when you're in, like just doing life is a huge achievement for a brand and that's when it usually goes viral yeah without further ado should we uh, get on to the first question yeah definitely so the first question is is there a science to making people laugh? And that's from Albar. Um, yes, a short answer. Yes, there is. <laughs> there is Albar. Um, so we're going to focus on the nine violation theory to answer this question. But just to flag that there's loads of theories about why things are funny and like and science and to humour. Um, so yeah, like the, that are quite yeah. old. Um, there's a there's one that we're going to touch on for the next question, um, but benign violation theory is an adaptation of incongruity theory, which is basically saying that um, we find humour in things that are kind of out of the blue and unexpected, um, and when when there's like a slight incongruity between our expectations and reality so this theory is an adaptation of that which is quite a popular theory 
she goes into detail about it. So really, really, really simply, like if you've never heard of this theory before, um, it's a, a violation is simply something that is wrong. So it could be a violation of social norms. So something that you deem a bit like different to what society would dictate. So like a slap, uh, slapping a stranger in the, in the face, like you wouldn't usually see that. That's like slapstick comedy, but it's also like you wouldn't expect to see it. Yeah. Um, and then also it can be violations of um, moral norms. So like a church selling a hummer or like being a brothel or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I made that. So, so for, for something to be funny, um, three things have to be have to exist essentially. So there's like three criteria. Like one, there's a violation of some sort of social or moral norm. Um, two, the situation is benign, so it's not actually that threatening. And then three, those two happen simultaneously. Yeah. So when we've talked about something that goes wrong, um, it has to be benign to that person. So that means that it's not. If the violation isn't close to them so the three ways that a violation could be like not close to someone or not offensive to someone number one not being strongly committed to the violated norm so when we're talking about that church example the people that would find that funny are people that probably don't hold religion as one of their top values and, and therefore it's a benign violation so for example i would potentially find it funny that a church is um like selling a hummer or trying to make money out of something but then someone who has like deep religious values would not find that funny yeah they find that offensive and that's how that's where it gets a bit like mishmashy with humor another way that it can be benign though is if it's psychologically distant so even if it is something of value to you it was a long time ago or it happened to someone else so yeah, that, I was just thinking one that came into my head. So a violation would be Perla falls down the stairs. Um, I would find it would be benign if she didn't hit, hurt herself. So I would that would be a benign violation and I would find that funny. So if you tripped up and you didn't hurt yourself, I would find that funny. If you tripped up and you have to go to the hospital, that would be a malign violation. So it wouldn't be as funny. It's not it would not be funny, but only if you were okay in the end. So like, even if you did go, it was not threatening, essentially. Like if you were to roll down the stairs head first and it looked hilarious, and actually you were kind of fine after being in the hospital for like a few days with a concussion, then you can laugh. Then it's funny. <laughs> that just shows that everyone's um, perception of what is benign is different. So you you still find it funny even if they went to hospital. <laughs> <laughs> Child for the nine is quite like it's not high. Sure, yeah, people might not find it funny if they go to hospital because for them that's that's threatening. Whereas you find it funny, you Perla find it funny if they went to hospital. So, but, but yeah, so basically it's different for every person because their violate their norms are different, and also something that they find threatening is different. Before it turned me into a complete monster, let's actually move on because I sound like such a bitch. Okay, another way it can be benign as well is if there's an alternative explanation. I'm not really sure about this one, but for example if someone's attacking you but they're tickling you so it's something you don't want to happen but there's an alternative explanation that's not out of malice they're tickling you for me i'm like isn't the motion of somebody tickling you making you laugh isn't there a physical response as well so i'm not quite sure about that third one when it comes to the theory what do you yeah. think i guess it means like it's 
is it a bit of an anomaly like it can be explained in a different way like being tickled is supposed to be a funny thing yeah like um there are quite a lot of critics of this theory we're not quite like it's actually quite a well a well accepted theory but there are some critics because obviously no theory for something this subjective can be completely perfect but it does explain theory quite well in quite a lot of circumstances yeah and it's worth mentioning that he actually says that he wanted this to be like a universal theory for humour so the main critics are saying actually there isn't a universal theory for humour because it's quite subjective um, you can't have like a super theory of poetry or justice for example so you can't have the same four jokes but I think yeah. I think out of what we read we we did actually try and like think of different examples and it did tick a lot of boxes didn't it Perla? I mean McGraw uh, McGraw Peter McGraw, goes on, uh, he does quite a lot of TED Talks and he does actually apply this theory specifically to advertising as well. So it's been accepted enough to be kind of accept it's accepted and talked about into different disciplines and applied in quite a lot of ways. Because what it does is takes the older theories like the incongruity theory and the superiority theory, which are two theories that like are, are one section some uh, one section of this theory so incongruity is when it's something you don't expect and superiority is when you know it's just you, you you're laughing at something you think is um you're inferior to you those are too simple whereas this humor this theory um kind of encompasses all of those mini older theories which is why it's quite good it explains it in the best way possible even mcgraw admits that there are some holes he's like um he, he says that one of the things that he can't explain is uh why things that are absurd are funny yeah i guess it doesn't really cover that i think it is a i think he came to like think of it because some like violated norms for people were all funny and then he was thinking like why do we find some things that are painful actually like why are they funny for some people and That's i think it's well in terms of explaining that um in a way if you don't laugh you'll cry have you ever heard that say <laughs> maybe it's a bit of that i don't know yeah, God, yeah. um should we go on to question two yeah um there was also what who's the quote by here oh yeah mark twain that he mentioned basically saying humor is tragedy plus time and it explains that's um like psychologically distant thing so you you have the tragedy like humor always has a bit of pain in it but also yeah. It, it, the pain is softened and then it becomes funnier. I think that's quite a nice way to describe it as well. That's why um, humour is an emotion because it's not as simple as just like real humour that makes you laugh, like really laugh, has some sort of huge audience truth in it, which is why it's so powerful. And it's like using an audience truth instead of being purpose-driven and using it to be like really dramatic and make a really big purpose-driven ad you use it to kind of make fun of it but at the same time what you're what you're simultaneously doing for, for each is an audience truth and that's why it's powerful and we'll go on to talk about like how ad, ads um, use humor and you know what works what doesn't etc actually it goes quite neatly into our next question as we go through that so question number two what happens when humour goes wrong? And what is your favourite example of humour not hitting the marks? It was from Taylor. Um, so I'd say probably my favourite example is the Revolut example, um, which was from last year on Valentine's Day. Uh, so when they said that, um, I don't know if you remember it, they said like how many people ordered a singles takeaway on Valentine's Day. So like 12,000 people were ordering it. 
and then they said you okay hun and it was seen as quite single shamey um, yeah it is isn't it because a lot of I can imagine it being discussed in a in a meeting room and people being like, "Yeah, that's really funny," and it uses current terminology and etc. And, and like, it, I find it uses like data to say like, "Oh, this many people did this on this day, so it's relevant." Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess it comes back to the idea of like if everyone in that meeting didn't really understand why that's bad, or they, mm-hmm. they didn't understand the perspective of someone who would. I don't know though, because I even think like someone in a relationship wouldn't find that funny. No, no, but that's the point. Like, if they were all in a relationship, for example, they would. Yeah, uh, if they were all married, let's say, really comfortable in their like relationship status or whatever, then I can understand. It kind of applies to the superiority theory, isn't it? Because like for them, it's not that they're inferior, but they're a group of people that you could collectively laugh at. But the unfortunate thing is for them is that single people make up a huge part of our population so that it's too big a group to take the piss out of for it to be like funny for everyone yeah i can understand i yeah i think with humor in general i mean it's just hard it's very easy to miss the mark a lot of the time because it's risky or i guess like yeah there's it's a hard one, isn't it? Because then if you're like attacking, if you have superiority theory over like one person, it can be bad. Um, I was just thinking of, or is it someone that like half of people would understand why you have that like humour towards them? Like, so for example, um, like a joke about Donald Trump. But it wouldn't be funny. Um, Donald Trump supporter, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. That's it. And I think... Um, a lot of people still are thinking in that old age of the superiority theory that you take the piss out of another group of people because it's a lot. Yeah. It's what stand-up comedians do, but it doesn't quite work with advertising, especially broadcast media, because you're just targeting too many people. And at the same time, you're not just trying to get people to laugh like stand-up comedians are. You're also trying to get them to buy shit and to believe in something. Yeah. So it's actually. Oh, we're trying to do two things at once and it's not as simple as just making people laugh with advertising unfortunately stand-up comedians can be more candid with things and they can get away with saying certain things well, they're their own brand yeah they're their own brand so they only have to think about their own brand when they're doing that and they don't only have to think about their own supporters because they only have to think about making people laugh who come and see them yeah so they're already winning in that sense when they've like got up of, that's only i'm talking about really famous stand-up comedians who actually have like a following and, and things like that like you wouldn't go and see a stand-up comedian that you didn't like if they were really expensive would you mm. and then free comedy i guess you would yeah i don't know it's 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 hard it is hard to, to actually get them out i think another really interesting but one is for example if like ali wong the comedian makes fun of like men being dumb is men wouldn't find that funny but it's superiority <laughs> theory. And no, I- it's not because I guess um, women are seen as inferior to men, I guess. So then it isn't. It's really hard, actually, isn't it? It's very nuanced. Yeah. Because yeah, it- essentially that women, because they have, like, I don't know, they've not had like the advantage in the past. And, yeah, like, but they will- Currently, in, in many aspects, that they don't. So it is funny to have to make that joke. Yeah, I guess that's um, benign. It makes it more benign. 
it's benign because it's been um, heavily thought in the in the history of our like culture and our society that you know men are superior to women. So that's why it's funny, like in like to a mass audience. If that makes sense, yeah. it's like single people have historically been looked at as inferior to people in relationships. That's really changing in like our modern world and with like different influences like Florence Given, for example, who really like big up being single and dating apps being really like out there and, and you know, singles being properly like glamorized again, which is nice. But the really like olden way of thinking is like, oh, being in a relationship is more fun than being single. Let's take the, the piss out of being alone. But it, it's looked at as being alone rather than being, you know, like being able to do whatever the hell you want kind of thing yeah it's all different it all changes so fast as well with the way that culture works and how things are viewed so it's very possible that and it always happens that an advert doesn't age well and it only really works in that period of time that's also the risk you have okay um also there was the one that we thought of with uh, burger king super seven incher <laughs> with a really big sandwich that the girl was eating yeah, that's meant to look like a, a willy. And then um, really go down well. <laughs> you could tell that I didn't want to really go down well. And we, um, so in terms of benign violation, why don't we think that went down well? Well, because, um, because I guess... Benign us. Um, sec- it's it's hard with sexuality. I think maybe some people... Because we, 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 um, are with, we surround ourselves with circles that are quite like liberal. So we find sexual things funny, but there is still a large audience that don't find sexual sexuality to be as funny as as liberating as others. So like for them, that's like too much to see on their screens. They're like, no, that's that violation really like violates my values, and I don't find it benign. So, yeah, so they didn't soften it enough. Essentially, they didn't because it, it's hitting that sweet spot between um, if yeah. you if something's like violating your norms too much and there has to be something softening it so like the benign aspect of it has to be raised yeah like do you know what it makes me think of <laughs> no i remember i remember in like 2000 whenever christina aguilera's dirty came out you know the song dirty dirty yeah. coming in a little bit anyway so she did an interview and she was and they were like how um they're like, how um, like, well do you think it was received in America compared to the, the UK? And she said that um, the UK received it much better, they're more comfortable with their sexuality. This was in like 2004. She said America wasn't ready for her, for her music yet. It's not really about humour, but it's more about the view of sexuality, I guess, and how that differs between countries. Yeah. Which is really interesting, because maybe it would be really accepted in America now. And that's the same with humour as well. But I guess, in a way, it was a like, violation of a moral norm. So, for that, that was different between UK and US. So yeah. you can think of it in that way as well. Um, fab. So, should we move on to question three? Yeah. So it's it's all good, well and good things being funny and and whatnot, but yeah, and whatnot. question. It's really cool. Would you say campaigns um, that use humour are more effective? So this was a really interesting question because there are lots of mechanics involved in this. Um, we looked at a lot of studies. There are actually a load, a load of studies about um, you know humour and effectiveness in terms of advertising. So it's from like as early as the sixties and seventies until today. But ultimately, they found the same conclusions, give or take. Yeah. So we've summarised um, sort of like the top five conclusions essentially because. 
there's quite a lot of studies out there with them but we'll link them in the notes so we'll just link each one that we've sort of read and um, included here yeah one quite good conclusion is that it does promote message comprehension and also um, drives memorability of an advert as well and there was quite a few studies that showed that strong relationship between humour and impact. Yeah, so humour is more likely to enhance recall, evaluation and purchase intention, um, but only when it coincides with ad objectives and is well integrated with those objectives. So it can't just be completely random. It also has to be appropriate for the product category as well. So yeah, that has to be thought of mm. as well when we're thinking of humour. Not humour, not necessarily for it to be funny, but for the funniness to be effective in what we want to do, which is to change behaviour. Yeah. So if we think about why it's effective, I think that's really interesting as well because it really lets us think of the mechanics and what actually causes us to remember, causes us, sorry, to want to change our behaviour, and that is uh, memory. So the effect of humour on memory is really interesting. Um, so to, to understand and to use that in our ads so number one it increases in atten- attention on the on the ad so it receives increased attention during the perception stage compared to non-humorous information um, so it's because we find something funny and it's inherently interesting so we pay more attention to it but it also improves encoding so it, it um it benefits from improving coding during the information encoding stage, often at the expense of non-humorous information that is encoded at the same time. So when we're actually trying, when we're in that stage of remembering and having that information processed in our brain into our short or long-term memory, and that's, um, yeah, it that's what happens. It makes information a bit more palatable, doesn't it? Like if, if you're um, watching something that has a lot of like tips in it, for example, but it's, it's very funny, you don't even feel like you're learning something when you are. Yeah. Um, but then as we said and as as we said about from the effective um, studies it does have to be in line with the products that you're that you're talking about and your brand objectives and your campaign objectives as well it can't be just totally random if you want it to actually be effective in behavior change um, but there are lots of variables as well um, when we're thinking about um, like humor and what makes things funny like we're talking about country earlier and um, that's, so, that's a key one, isn't it, for humour? Like, something yeah. that's funny here would not be funny in a different country, like, because definitely. of the nuances of everything. Exactly. It's definitely the challenge that transcreation agencies have a lot because they have, they're having to make funniness translate into different cultures and countries, which is so hard. Yeah. And often, like, one create a creative idea or, like, campaign thought wouldn't work across different countries. You t- kind of have to tweak it. But the things apparently, um, according to this article, that are universal is um, uh, like subject matter that is universal. So references use are universally understood. So something like a young romance or a new baby, that's like a universal occasion that we can, you know, take the piss out of. Um, not offensive or taboo, um, visually based rather than relying on something that may be lost in translation. So a lot of like slapstick, for example, might will be funny universally. Yeah. At this, like when I think of like Iranian jokes versus English jokes, like there's so many, there's so many jokes in Iranian that just wouldn't be funny if you directly translated it. And I think that's the same with like French as well. Just, yeah, it's hard. Like there, there are phrases in French that I find really hard to like translate for people to like to to understand in general. But then humor, yeah, humor 
is not always translatable, definitely. Yeah. 100%. Look at us, multicultural bitches. <laughs> Just dropping that in there. Yeah, well, yeah. I feel like in terms of the conclusion, um, I guess it relates back to the theory that we we're talking about before with benign violation. So it is very dependent on what someone believes is it's like is a violation um and what people how how to make that not threatening for someone so it's it's different for each person and i think especially across different cultures as well yeah yeah definitely it is really risky humor like to make something actually really genuinely funny is hard i have to say um i think we we use humor so lightheartedly in advertising i find that like we just kind of like we don't think about it as much because we don't think it deserves as much um, attention as like purpose-driven stuff but actually for it to have a real effect and for it to actually affect purchase behavior and just general behavior change that we want to see it does have to be thought about that little bit more so i think next time i'm trying to make um, an advert funny i think i will include this theory or, or an example of something that abides by this theory to make my campaigns more effective yeah, definitely. I'm trying to think of like the last advert that I saw that I actually found like laugh out loud funny. What was it? Do you know what one I found funny is that Pepsi advert from um, Super Bowl? You know when they were like, oh, actually, I, I prefer this to Coke, or I can't remember if they actually said it, but they alluded to it. It was funny. They took the piss out of themselves, um, and they were yeah. Oh no, it was like oh. Do you, do you mean Coke? Like when they ordered Pepsi, like, no, I mean Pepsi. Because they were like, it was like an audience truth that was really And it was benign because it's not offensive to anyone but themselves, I guess. But that is kind of like the, no, it's not superiority. It's the opposite of the superiority theory. Yeah, I guess it's a violation because it's, it's not, it's unexpected. You wouldn't expect them to be making fun of themselves. Yeah, exactly. And it's benign because it could, no one could really find yeah. that offensive. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one I truly found funny. Have you found any like funny recently? I think of like literally something I really like laughed out loud to. God, you're kind of a I think it's actually no. I was about to say it takes like a lot for me to laugh, but that's so not true because I just like am constantly like weirdly laugh. But um, I'll have a think about it. Maybe I'll link one in the in the notes. I can't wait to the notes. I actually can't think of like a hilarious one. God, we're going to let Ronak think for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the notes. God, I really can't wait to see what she comes out with, but I will link it. will be the bottom of the notes, guys. Um, but for now, this <laughs> twice. Three fonts. We're going to get a bit boring. See you next time. <laughs> Bye.